I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Kayla Branch. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This week, COVID-19 cases, deaths, and hospitalizations in Oklahoma are skyrocketing. Our reporters talk about what this surge means for Oklahomans, hospitals, and local businesses. Capitol reporter Carmen Foreman is back with us this week as Oklahoma reaches all-time highs of the coronavirus. Carmen, you have been covering the pandemic from all different angles for several months, but let's start with the new restrictions that Governor Kevin Stitt announced this week, mid-November. What changes can we expect to see? Um, Yeah, so first change was that all state employees are required to wear masks at the office and all visitors to state buildings will be required to wear masks. Um, Some state employees had already been wearing masks, some departments had required it and some just chose to do so. Um, But ultimately there's about 33,000 state employees. Um, The Capitol also now requires mask wearing um, per legislative leaders. They required that after the governor basically said, you know, we're going to do this in all state facilities. Um, And then the one for the, you know, the more casual Oklahoman, the regular Joe, I guess, would be that bars and restaurants will now have to close by 11 p.m. every night. Um, they could still serve um, carry out food or drive through items, but people will not be allowed to eat or drink in an establishment after 11 p.m. Um, so there, you know, there's not a ton of restaurants that stay open that late. So it's it's more directed at bars. Um, you know, you don't want to be going out to. I'm thinking of Logies and Norman <laughs> for some reason, and you know, if you're in there at 1 p.m. at night on a weekend, it's just packed. And, um, you know, there's not really a way to socially distance that way. So that's mostly what it's aimed at. The state set records in recent weeks for the greatest increase of new cases in a single day. Right now, more Oklahomans are hospitalized with COVID-19 than have ever been. And we're setting the highest daily trend for new infections. Basically, everything about COVID is on the rise. One statistic that really has people worried is the state's hospital capacity, specifically intensive care unit capacity. Where does that stand right now? Yeah, um, earlier this week, we saw it was about, um, I think, hospital capacity. There was about 5% of beds available. Um, And it it can change region to region. And here's the thing that, um, you know, hospital professionals and EMTs are always saying is that it changes hour to hour. So like, you know, you go to Integris at 8 p.m. and you need a hospital bed and they might say, well, we don't have one for you. But if you go back at 9 p.m., they might say, well, we discharged a couple of people and now we have a hospital bed for you. But I think you made a really good point in the fact that I don't know if it's since like later in October or mostly in November, but it feels like we're breaking a new record for something at least once or twice a week, you know, whether it's the number of people hospitalized, the number of cases reported in a day. I mean, I saw today that um, November is already our worst month on and on record, and we're not even halfway through it. Um, and that's for new cases and for deaths, I believe. Um, so it's just, you know, new statistic after new statistic. And, and frankly, all of the hospital statistics, you know, show the situation getting worse. 
And I was wondering if you might be able to characterize, even if we don't have exact numbers, because like you said, it changes so frequently. But I mean, we've seen stories coming out of hospitals that they really are struggling. I mean, they're, they seem to be maxed out. What's that situation right now in terms of how they're able to accommodate every patient that comes in the door? Yeah, um, they. I mean, some hospitals are having, having to make tough decisions on which patients get to be seen when. Um, you know, if you have a non-urgent hospital-like issue, you may be asked to come back at a later time. Um, but then there's also hospitals that are, you know, basically running out of rooms for patients. And so it's a matter of, well, you can't just, it's hard to just turn people away, so you gotta make more room for folks. And whether that means, you know, you put a bed in a hallway or, you know, what. And then I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about near enough is staffing concerns. Um, with more and more people coming into the hospital, that doesn't necessarily change the number of nurses that are on staff at a hospital. Or, and you know, like, you know, nurses can't just work. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like that wouldn't be safe for anybody. So, you know, the number of nurses on call may stay pretty consistent and you're having more and more patients come in. So it's just those limited hospital staffers and um, nurses, um, respiratory therapists, all of those are just having to spend more of their time seeing more patients. Yeah, and one statistic that we talked about before coming in here was that uh, there are, in the Oklahoma County metro area, the 27% of patients that are hospitalized or in ICU beds uh, have COVID, which is, you know, like, a, a, that's a, that is a lot, it seems. And you said it, it had grown about 7% in 10 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Oklahoma City was the first region. There are eight hospital regions. Oklahoma City was the first to enter tier three of the state's surge plan, which essentially is a, is a plan that indicates when hospital capacity is growing more limited. And um, so we were the first, and that was a few weeks ago. And now half of the regions are in tier three, if I remember correctly. Um, mm, they're there are two that are firmly in tier three and there while there's three in tier three and then there's a couple that are hanging out like towing the line between tier two and tier three um and that specifically you know you hit tier three when you have basically more than 20 percent of your hospitalized patients are covid patients and that number has just continued to grow for oklahoma city's metro region and the interesting thing i think is that Yes, some of these patients are coming from the Oklahoma City metro area. Yes, maybe somebody got into a car wreck um, on one of the local interstates. But some, a lot, a lot of these patients are coming from rural areas. Um, you know, if you're in a really bad COVID situation and your rural hospital doesn't have a respiratory therapist or an ECMO machine, you're going to a metro area. You're going to either Oklahoma City or Tulsa or out of state. Or if you got COVID and you have let's say you already have lung problems or heart problems and you're just a more complicated case, you might be headed to a metro area because your local hospital might not have the resources to take you. 
Yeah, and despite all of this, despite these major increases and and everything that's going on, uh, notably lacking from the new restrictions that Governor Stitt put in place, he is not going to issue a statewide mask mandate or other major restrictions at this time. And uh, you know, personal responsibility has been his mantra since the beginning of the pandemic. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, we're seeing more and more Republican governors kind of change their minds on statewide mask mandates because the situation is getting worse. Um, In every definable category, it's getting worse. And, um, you know, we saw in the White House task force this week, report this week, we saw that they said that Halloween was a big catalyst for new cases. And while we're about to go into Thanksgiving and then we're about to go into Christmas and all of those events are likely to jack our cases up even more and increase the number of people going to the hospital. And so some of these governors in other states are seeing, okay, well, um, you know, I see a record number of hospitalizations. I see a record number of new cases. And I know that the situation is going to get worse over the next couple months. So some have, you know, we're very adamantly opposed to statewide mask mandates and have reversed course in recent weeks. Um, Governor Sitt has not changed his mind. Um, He has been pretty strong about saying, one, that it's unenforceable. I would disagree with that because we have plenty of laws on the books that aren't, you know, quote unquote, really enforced. You know, Um, there's also, you know, I mean, you could say the same thing about closing bars and restaurants at 11 p.m. How are you going to enforce that? Oklahoma City also has a mask mandate. Tulsa has a mask mandate. Several cities in the state have it, and they're not exactly having police officers put masks on people's faces. Exactly. And a majority of states have mask mandates. And um, anyways, he says it's it can't be enforced. Um, he's also said he wants it to be a local issue, um, that he wants the localities to make that decision. But he's also encouraged localities like, yeah, we do, we do support wearing masks. And if you think it's right for your city to pass a mask mandate, we support you in that. But whether he will change his mind, I don't know. Um, I guess maybe if things get bad enough or if he's tried enough things, other things, and they aren't working to slow the spread or if they aren't helping to relieve the hospitals, then maybe he'll turn to a statewide mask mandate. But and I, <laughs> I've been going on for too long, but there could be a point where it, it might be too late. Um, and that sounds bad. But, you know, Anytime you take a new action, it takes like, um, you know, to reduce the spread of COVID, it takes at least two weeks to see that show up in the data. So if you wait until after Christmas to issue a statewide mask order, well, you have all these people that, you know, went out and did things at Thanksgiving and went out and did things in Christmas and they've spread it around a whole bunch. And so we're going to have this massive spike. And then, you know, a statewide mask order might not kick in until that massive spike is huge. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I think that's, and I think we plan to ask you about this. I mean, that seems to be what the predictions are, what what folks are worried about. Yeah, and that's just not, that's not just in Oklahoma either. I mean, that's, health professionals have predicted those holidays will have, will create problems for all the states. And I think one thing that you and I have both covered is that the governor, the state health department acknowledged that masks do work. Statistics in the state have shown that um, spread of COVID-19 has increased 
a fraction of, of the amount in masking cities versus cities without a mask mandate. Very interesting to see how those are shown to work. We still don't have a statewide mask mandate, but in cities like Oklahoma City, for example, they are proven to be effective. I'm curious, though, what do healthcare workers have to say about this status of COVID in Oklahoma and what they think should be done about it? Um, some are still asking for a statewide mask mandate, like um, Oklahoma State Medical Association president, Dr. George Monks. He's been pretty consistent in asking for the governor to implement a statewide mask mandate. Um, a couple weeks ago, or I guess it was last week, the governor held a press conference at OU Medical Center, and there were a bunch of doctors and a bunch of local hospital um, administrators there, and um, perhaps they had realized that maybe the governor wouldn't change his mind on a statewide mask mandate, because they were almost insistent and like pleading with Oklahomans to wear a mask anytime they go out, anytime they're in public around people and they can't socially distance. Um, I I mean, it was a real shift in tone because before it was like, wear a mask, three W's, you know? It's the thing you've been doing this whole time. And then that time it was like, no, people are dying. If you don't wear a mask, we could get to a point where we have to choose between helping a car wreck victim and a patient with COVID-19. Or, you know, we could, have to choose between helping you or helping your neighbor you know when they when you both come to the hospital um so they're pretty adamant um that people need to do need to change their behavior and they're also asking people to just stay home if you don't have to go out stay home if you are you know planning on gathering for the holidays do it in a safe manner socially distance your family throughout your house or, you know, eat outside if the weather's nice, things like that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was curious if the state health department or other um, officials that we've become familiar with uh, over the last several months have given specific, here's what to do on Thanksgiving. I don't know that I've seen like a specific like bullet pointed list, but I do remember that health commissioner Lance Fry said earlier this week, sort of, you know, if you're gonna gather for Thanksgiving, just be safe about it. Don't have a 50-person Thanksgiving dinner. Probably don't have a 10-person Thanksgiving dinner. Um, there's been a lot of guidance about, you know, if your college kid is coming home for Thanksgiving, then they should probably get tested before they come home and get their results before they come home because, you, you know, this college kid wouldn't want to infect his parents with COVID-19 or his grandparents. Um, so that sort of thing. And that just, you know, be smart about the holidays. We all miss our families and want to see our families. Um, so just, you know, do what you can to be responsible, I guess. It's interesting you bring up college students because um, that is obviously a concern of these major universities in the state. OU and OSU are going full virtual. They've been planning to do this for months now, but they've, they will go full virtual after Thanksgiving. Not to say that students can't come back if they don't want to, but, you know, I think a lot of students probably will not come back. Um, they'll probably, their last day on campus is probably their last day before Thanksgiving. Um, Carmen, thank you so much for coming on, telling us about the status of COVID. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. Joining us for the first time on The Source is the food dude, Dave Cathy. 
we're excited we're excited to talk to you um, as the Oklahomans food editor about what effect new COVID-19 restrictions might have on bars and restaurants. First, bars and restaurants have to close by 11 p.m. in Oklahoma, except for to-go or drive-through orders. Is it safe to say this means a lot more for bars than for restaurants? Yeah, very much so. That that seems to be the aim on that part of the of this round of restrictions. I actually had uh, just today. I was speaking with a bar and restaurant owner who told me that he's just fine with the 11 o'clock because he'll close early and he'll save on expenses. Uh, so that now his model isn't strictly a bar. He has a restaurant that leads into that. So just fine to close an hour early, maybe. So there's that. But yeah, bars, that's really where it all comes down to is they're trying to get people to not get inebriated and then lose their faculties and then get too close together. Are bars going to be hurting from this? Absolutely. Yeah. Bars have been hurting all along, though. Um, that's sort of like the the dirty little secret in this entire scenario. It's It's ironic because bars and churches are sort of in the same standing here. Uh, it's a place that people want to go to to socialize and, and, and talk and get to see their friends. But really, the pandemic, it, it's not this is not the time for that. And so we've got a mandate now for the bars are sort of a, I don't know, sort of a halfway mandate, close, closing them down early. But really, until we, we and, th- and this is what the restaurant people tell me, this is their frustration, is that when they see other places, other retail places, and, and like I said, churches where gathering still goes on, they, they have to ask themselves, how, how is my small restaurant, you know, or, you know changing things here going to have an effect when we don't make uh, changes in these other areas? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, restaurants, they also are being required now uh, to space all tables six feet apart or uh, install dividers for seating, uh, like booths that can't be moved as easily. Um, And how much do you expect that this would reduce customer capacity? Um, Well, it's funny because what we're really looking at right now is not so much a change in anything. It's really just more a call for compliance. Because what the governor issued last week was really no different than what he issued back in April, I guess it was. And they never really relaxed social distancing, and they never really relaxed capacity issues. They were always supposed to have tables this far apart, six feet apart. Now, what you saw, what what we've seen over the summer was not everyone was compliant. And... You know, unfortunately, that just comes down to several factors. Uh, there's uh, the whole political aspect of it, and, and that a lot of that manifested itself in parts of town, parts of, you know, areas, uh, you know. It also showed who was a little more desperate than, than others. And, and, and I don't say that with any judgment at all, because imagine, you know, you're going along real nice with your business that's seemingly, you know, going to grow and grow and grow, and then... It, it, what happens, something falls out of the sky that stops your business from being able to operate normally while others can. You know, and, and I mean, a restaurant and a bar, they, they have to have people come in in order to, to, to operate the way that they're used to. Now, they're doing a great job right now of trying to adapt. A lot of places are. I mean, the creativity is, is really inspiring in a lot of cases. But yeah, the, as far as the the changes that were made, the, the the new restrictions, it's really not much. What I tell people is, look for compliance. If you're if you are out and considering dining out, I mean, because really, let's be honest, right now, the best thing that we can all do to support our local restaurants is to order to go and carry out. That's and to do it directly from them without using third party if possible. That's the best way. That way, they don't have to have as many people on staff. 
They don't have to have as many people exposed to danger, but they have enough people to keep in business and to keep people on staff, you know, to work, you know, some hours. So we're just sort of going through this, not 100 miles an hour, but maybe 30 miles an hour. They need that. And they need a certain amount of, of in, in, in-house dining or, or better yet, outdoor dining. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of really great uh, things done with outdoor dining, and you, like today I saw where uh, Bellini's is putting a heater into their huge uh, patio, and so they'll be able to have people all winter out there. Uh, the new Ted's Tacos and Cantina has has two uh, ceiling heaters and a fireplace on their new patio, so we're going to see outdoor dining options all through the winter. Not when there's an ice storm. Not when there's snow falling out of the sky, but when the sun is out and maybe it's in the 50s or maybe even the 40s, we will be, we will be able to do these things. So those are those are the real adjustments that have been made that will help. P- putting people more outside and a lot of people adding, you know, online ordering options. And, and we have a, a, a an app now, uh, Tap Tap Eat, that's a that's a locally made app that you can get uh, that you that you can uh, use to get to a local restaurant. So ad- adaptations happen. The new restrictions, I wish they were I, – I, I I'm saying this in, on behalf of restaurants and the people I've spoken to. They wish they were a little stronger. Really? Uh, only – most of the restaurateurs I've talked to wish there was – in Oklahoma City, it's not a problem because there's a mass mandate here. But in Oklahoma City, we get a lot of out-of-town diners. And so if you get people coming in from the smaller towns where there's no mandate they're, and they're not comfortable putting on a mask and, and you as a person in the hospitality industry have to approach someone and ask them to do something that you know for a fact that or, or you have some indication they're not going to want to do, you kind of wish you had the backing of, of the state government on, on your side to say, hey, it's the right thing to do rather than get an argument. So, yeah, that sort of stuff. They're all for it. What they really want to see is compliance and enforcement is what it comes down to. So that's that's really interesting um, that you say that. And, and just to make sure I understood you correctly, so once the governor and Oklahoma and as a whole started to reopen, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of Oklahomans, when they think of the mm-hmm. spring, they think of total shutdowns, right, right. restaurants were not open, bars right. were not open. So once they started to reopen, these were the, the things that they were supposed to be doing. Still, yeah. They were never really relaxed. Like the, the 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 straightforward compliance that we had for the pandemic, we are we never stopped being in a pandemic at any point. Even when the numbers were were, were flattened briefly before the summer, we were still in a pandemic. So we were still under pandemic protocols that the CDC had put out, and they were very clear that we needed social distancing and masks when, when you're in the restaurant, unless you're eating, and tables six feet apart and capacities. In, in most states, 25%, and we had 50% here in Oklahoma. So those never stopped happening. Now, what did stop happening is some people start, stopped complying. Uh, some never did. The state health department has identified restaurants as one of the most common places people catch COVID-19. How have restaurants managed the role they might be playing in the spread of the virus while also trying to keep their businesses afloat? Yeah, that's that is probably the biggest challenge they have is is the restaurateurs that I've spoken to. They all understand that we have a real problem on our hands. We have a public health crisis that we are trying to live through right now. Part of the crisis is what it does to the to the local economy, to the national economy, the global economy. All right. So you have everyone understands that both of those things have to be considered. The public health obviously has to come first. You settle that up. And then you approach the, the economic side. Well, 
that is where things got a little wonky. It was sort of like, uh, here's a little bit of public health, but then let's protect the economy. So the, the messages were, were sort of unclear. And, and the same goes for the numbers that we get about how restaurants affect the numbers. Because what you'll find with a little deeper dive is the, the vast majority of people who are getting infections at restaurants are people who work at restaurants. It's not diners. It's, it's, it's to get infected at a restaurant that you came in to, you would, it would almost have to be who you came in with, uh, the party that you're with, because that's when you're maybe going to drop your mask and you're going to start talking to people. Restaurants that are compliant all summer long, uh, servers wore masks. So again, they were doing everything they could. Oh my gosh, all the, the investment that's been done into irradiating restaurants and surfaces and I mean the Frankenstein's monster or you know just approach to uh, all the zapping of everything it's it's amazing what they've all done and then of course going back over protocols and the one thing that people in the restaurant business will tell you is part of their profession is cleanliness it's it's like you can't be in the restaurant business if you don't understand you know health code if you're not certified uh, so they are already better than at this than the mo than the rest of us so all they've done is is go back over their efforts and then add to them so as far as safety protocols I, I have no concern about local restaurants the only concern I ever have going into a local restaurant when I look at one is what does the dining room look like is it is it at a capacity that's that that is good for the public health if it is i'm not going to go in i'm going to order something to go or i'm going to sit outside if there's very few people sitting inside i don't feel uncomfortable going in and i think at the end of the day that's all restaurants are sort of asking just have a look <laughs> they don't want to be overstuffed either because it puts a lot of pressure on them they know when there's too many people in their place and they know that because the thing that that is really important to understand is they know if they have too many people in their place and they do get an infection out of that then they're gonna have to close for probably for at least two weeks and that's lost revenue every time they do that so they would much rather like I said before travel at 30 miles an hour and make 30 percent of the money over a longer period of time than make you know fits and starts of close to 100 percent money but have to shut down every couple of weeks well, so. And I'm curious, can you give us a, a, a picture of the role, the percentage of folks in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma that work in the restaurant business? Oh, I mean, what percentage of our economy is that? that? I, it, I think it's like the I think it's the number one uh, employer in the state is, is, the, is the restaurant industry. It's the thing that is the restaurant industry gets sort of steamrolled a lot because it's not a high. Uh, the, the money it produces is an enormous like uh, like the oil oil and gas industry it doesn't you know support generations of people what it supports is people today it supports people who need to work today it needs it supports everyone who who, who comes out of high school and they don't want to go to college or, or, or they don't know what they want to do yet that's where they go and a lot of people stick there and then there's people who have passion for it so it's like sort of this this first step in, into the into the real world that a lot of people just keep the rest of their lives and so it's it is, it's hard to measure honestly because it, it, yeah there it, it it employs so many people but it also you when you think about it when we think about the neighborhoods where we grow up the restaurants are a huge part of that like we all know where we went for our 
birthday dinners. Uh, we all know we went on our first date or, or the, the, these things that mattered. So it's really a part of our culture, too. And that's, that's another reason it's so important to me to, to protect these things going forward is because it is a part of our culture. Yeah. And, you know, the service industry was one of the hardest hit when we had that you know, an, an initial shutdown of non-essential businesses and dining and restaurants back in the spring. And how has the dining scape changed in Oklahoma City since then? Well, we've lost some folks for sure. Uh, when I was driving in today, I was uh, I was looking at uh, the Hungry Frog over there on 10th and Penn. And, you know, there's there's uh, a tent out in front of it now. You know, it's that's what's happened over there. And, and unfortunately, it's it's one of those things. When I've talked to people in the industry, what they said to me is what the pandemic brought forth is your future. And if your future 18 months ahead of March of 2020 was showing that you had some bills coming due or you had some debt that maybe was going to be close, well, now it's at your doorstep. And if it was 10 months away, you might be living in that moment now. So it really took away really what it took away was was safety nets for people the time that people had put for themselves to make certain things right to trim here to trim there to make changes those all disappeared and now not only is it gone but you have to adapt to a completely new way of doing business which is change your business model now we have to rely on carry out to go delivery with a small amount of in-house dining and and that's just a massive change uh, that had to be done overnight uh, cattlemen's lost 98 percent of their business in 24 hours uh, of course they did who would think of cattlemen's for to go you know no one and and they had they lived through that for a little while so yeah it's it's been very very difficult but at the same time like i said with the way people have made some changes you're going to see this is one thing you're going to see uh, i've got something coming out in the oak uh, i just did a big roundup of of outdoor dining uh, that you that you see now that you wouldn't have seen maybe you know a year ago and it comes spring you're going to see all these new options like i mentioned with ted's and uh and bellinis and i know there are others we have the streetery program has been really successful up in edmond uh downtown oklahoma city not quite but maybe i'm thinking by spring you might see more of that kind of stuff and i think going forward outdoor dining period even post pandemic suddenly will be something that we embrace uh, i saw this little note that uh I forget where I saw this, but it was talking about how uh, after the Spanish flu, or before the Spanish flu, spittoons were common in restaurants and bars. And after that pandemic, you never saw them again. So it'll be interesting to see what little things like that we might have coming, uh, awaiting us on the other side of this. Dave, I want to ask about one other thing, because frankly, it's heartbreaking to hear that so many of the people getting sick at restaurants are the employees, because these are not normally not high wage earners that's right um these are people who if you work in a restaurant you don't have much of a choice but to go into work there's no form of remote working that's right um what do these people do i mean does it leave them with no choice are you seeing people maybe uh, having an exodus from the restaurant industry because of this if they can pursue other options i mean just how does this impact the employee it's a good question and it's it's a it's hard to gauge yet because uh, in the spring we had the, the PPP money and that made it a lot easier in the initial phase of this thing where if you had an employee who had some, some issue uh, with, uh, with a parent or even with themselves that, that where they, they really needed to stay away from exposure, then yeah, they were getting paid and they were fine and that worked out just fine. And, and even people who weren't worried and it was just well i'm just going to hang out i just don't want to be a part of this so that was really helpful now that that money's gone 
we may see kind of what you're talking about because you're right. It isn't just that the money isn't, you know, they're not getting rich doing this job. It is a trans transitory job for a lot of people. Important to note, not everyone. There are people that do make a career out of it. But the majority of people, it's a transition job. And so there's usually not health care involved in that sort of stuff, in, in those kinds of jobs. So uh, a lot of what we saw in the, in the initial contractions of the businesses was you got rid of your non-regular uh, staff. So a lot of people were just sort of left to the wind. Now they had the PPP. The upside, too, is you can get the restaurants are hiring. As soon as they let all these people go and able to reopen the dining room, well, they're hiring again. So it isn't the jobs will always be there. But you're right. The issue is, and this is where we get into our healthcare situation. Yeah, it is. It is not for a pandemic. The situation we have, the way our healthcare system aligns, it is not well suited for a pandemic. Not at all. Not certainly. Other countries are are in a, are in, are better suited to handle something like this for for what you're talking about. You know, just people who who maybe don't have coverage. What do you do? Well, it's, they've been so far. We've been lucky, you know, free this and free that and, and some stuff like that. But like you say, if, if you catch it and then can't go back to work, well, how do you make a living from now until uh, fingers crossed spring? That's going to be the question, you know, and in the, this latest spike, I think that is the biggest concern, in, at least from the restaurant point of view, is staff because they felt like through the summer they'd kind of worked their way back to a position. Uh, a lot of like, like for instance, uh, I know Red Rooster and uh, Riviere. Uh, they both worked with businesses where they were feeding uh, people's businesses, almost like a, like a, I don't know, like Cisco or something like that. It was just like we'll hire you to be our food source for the next yay months or something like that, just to kind of to, to to figure something out. So things like that have helped it, but you wonder how long these sort of these things that have been willy nilly cobbled together can hold you know as we go forward so like i say fingers crossed on the vaccine <laughs> but uh yeah and uh, one last thing on what you said restaurants historically have not uh had health care insurance to to offer their employees they do however have other ways that they take care of them like food drives uh, they are very <laughs> taking up collections is like second skin. I mean, uh, and it's not just one restaurant. The Oklahoma Restaurant Association has been a big help where that comes in. I know they've taken donations from private donors that have helped in certain cases. So it isn't, it isn't completely uh, hopeless. I don't, I don't want to give that impression, but it certainly has massive room for improvement. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Dave, for coming on and talking with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in The Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. We're going to be taking a break for Thanksgiving, but check back with us every Friday after the first week of December.